When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Pop Culture Confidential, and I'm Christina Yerling Biru. Hey everyone, welcome to Pop Culture Confidential, and welcome Eric Anderson, editor in chief at Awards Watch, our summer oracle. How are you? It's been a while. It has. I, I'm good. Busy, crazy. It's the season. But when when is it not the season? It's, it's, for you, it's like always the season. But I have to it tell is. the listeners to check out. You guys have so many great interviews now ahead of the Emmys. You're like putting two, three up every day with, you know, showrunners and stars and everyone in television just gearing up for Emmy. So go check that out. Thank you. Yeah. So I wanted to do a little film update and some stuff that we're looking forward to. It's completely overwhelming, um, all the things we could talk about for the rest of the year, but we'll narrow it down. We'll pick a few good things. But first, Tom Cruise. Now, just exploded. Top Gun Maverick just passed 900 million worldwide, topping the box office. So to quote the original Top Gun, remember boys, there's no points for second place. (laughs) Explain the phenomena. Explain what happened. You know, I wish I could because nobody expected this to do the numbers that it did. You can't tell me a single person, not even Tom Cruise or Paramount executives could have predicted this. Not only was it, you know, constantly pushed off. I mean, this was this was done in 2019. This was moved through Christmas and summer for the last two years. And obviously, you know, we know why the, the pandemic and there was no way that they were going to release it on Paramount Plus. But you never know when nostalgia sequels are going to hit and when they're just going to be, you know, a whisper. And we've seen both, but you know, this is, this is 35 years old. It's it's amazing. From a, a movie that only, that made less than 200 million anyway. Now I was thinking that Tom Cruise was going to have a great year, but I was kind of thinking it'd be Mission Impossible that would get these numbers, and 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 you know Top Gun Maverick would be a big nostalgia trip for the dads, <laughs> um, but that Mission Impossible would be the one you know that would go over all generations. I mean, it still could, but I'm a bit surprised. I mean, that took me off guard too. And it has the Mission Impossible franchise has been where his big successes are, and. Uh, and that was until now his biggest worldwide hit. And it's funny to think, you know, we do think of Tom Cruise as a box office star, but he had never had a, a movie with over $250 million in U.S. domestic release, which in now today's numbers seems relatively small. Mm-hmm. So this just, it absolutely blew past any possible expectations domestically and worldwide it's it's a phenomenon 
and it, and the the critique was good. I mean, in yeah. general, people really liked the movie. It was a well-made sequel that had the right amount of nostalgia and the right amount of of new things and the right amount of Tom Cruise saving everyone's ass. It's that it is the continued uh excitement of Tom Cruise doing his own stunts. Uh, the the trailers that came out when you know we knew it was really coming out the summer just really blew people away and it it just everything hit everything hit exactly as as it should have and I think one of the reasons too the uh, reviews were a little better than the original or at least kind of using the original as a focal point is this was a bit less you know, USA rah rah, uh, jingoistic. I mean, it was still there, but (laughs) it was, and it has to be, but, you know, looking at, at the U S in 1986 and all of the early to mid eighties, that was, that, that, there was a lot people, people kind of don't realize how much media and film were just as much a tool of a lot of that kind of stuff. <laughs> well, that original Bruckheimer era was. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, so what else happened? What bombed? What were things that were expected and didn't work out? I don't know if I want to call it a bomb, but certainly a disappointment uh, was Pixar's Lightyear, fifty and a half million opening weekend. Pretty disappointing. Tava, how much do you think that sort of I don't know what to call it, just evil bad press about the kiss, the um, same-sex kiss in the movie, um, and that people were saying, don't take your kids to this. How much is that, or is that... I, I, I think I think surely there's, there is an element of that. Um, I also just think that they overestimated. Speaking of nostalgia, here's an mm-hmm. example where it didn't work, uh, that it just was not... It was not the origin story that that people were interested in and we're so flooded with those now anyway you know looking at it even from a critical standpoint it it was so messy and strange having that title card of you know this is the movie that Andy saw in 1995 doesn't make any sense it was it, it's not a movie that would have been made in 95 no not not just from a you know a, a visual standpoint but a content, well, content. standpoint mm-hmm. So it just, it didn't, that didn't work. Well, also too, you know, I think probably a a Woody origin story would have done better than a Buzz. But yeah, it's it's certainly a balance of all of those things. But but even, even with, that's a $50 million opening for Pixar, regardless of the era, is not great. That's, mm-hmm. that is what Coco opened to, uh, and that, ended up still doing very well very 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 well 210 million in the u.s and 800 worldwide that's a massive number for an opening of that modesty and i don't know if lightyear's gonna do that because it's worldwide hasn't it was okay not great in terms of the indie box office i have i was meaning to ask you so good luck leo grande is a really great lovely two-hander i think it is i think you do too with um emma thompson and daryl mccormick who's just both of them are just wonderful in it um it's about a middle-aged woman coming out of a bad marriage um who buys an escort um in order to feel things she hasn't so to speak but is it true that 
this will not be in the Oscar running, that they put it directly on Hulu and then it won't, that there's no Oscar chances for it. Correct. Both this and Fire Island, which uh, came out earlier this month, are Hulu exclusives from Searchlight. And that is, you know, the Disney, the parent company, filtered through Searchlight, which is their uh, indie side of live action films. And I'm not as against this as a lot of people are. I know a lot of people are really mad. I just want Emma Thompson to get that Oscar again for this. She's amazing in this. What I, a raw performance. <laughs> I, I couldn't agree more. Um, I do think it would have been difficult for a movie like this or Fire Island to be able to kind of manage its way all through the season. But for not the her, Oscar race. She would She would have probably done okay. But she's pretty much guaranteed the Emmy next year. Yes, I think okay. that's I think gonna... <laughs> that's pretty pretty straightforward. But my my thing is that once a once a studio has so many arms and so many so much content, and they also have a network as well as you know a theatrical distribution, I think it is a pragmatic choice to be able to do that. You know, something like Fire Island or Leo Grand are pretty niche films and television does provide a wider audience for a lot of that. The The concern certainly is that then that means that the only thing we get in theaters are, you know, big movies and, and we don't get to see that niche representation and that starts to get filtered away. I completely understand that, mm -hmm. uh, that dilemma and that concern. We have a gay movie not being able to be in theaters during Pride Month. We have a phenomenal woman of a certain age, sex positive comedy drama that is, you know, not going to get theatrical eyes. That's, I, I understand the- This is the future, we have to admit. It is. It is. It's all. It is. It's also that. So I think. I think if you can look at the positive elements of it, and that is that streaming services just do provide a a wider net things for people to see. And if your if your concern is awards about it, there still will be the Emmys. I mean, that's that's going to actually must be like bling bling. They must just be seeing the future opening up. I mean, if every big star that hasn't passed through their way will eventually. One of one of the neat things is that the television movie category at the Emmys, which is always just so dreary and terrible and scraping the bottom of the barrel now is going to be packed with some fantastic content and be a, a great category. The thing that pe that people are rightfully nitpicking on that though is that, you know, things are getting bought at festivals that are intended for theatrical release and put on TV. So they're not made for television movies anymore. But they did also change the name of that category so that it's not that. It's just TV movie now, you know, which is which was smart because None of these things that are in there are made for television movies or going to be in there. This probably won't be up before the box office is in, but what do you think, so we'll speculate a bit, um, about Elvis? The projection from Variety yesterday was a 30 million opening, which is pretty good for a two hour and 40 minute movie that has an $85 million budget. 
that's a pretty good opening for the U.S. Mm-hmm. I have to say, um, I think it will do. I think it will do well. I think it'll do well internationally. But yeah, thank thanks to those Australian tax credits, it's an it's an eighty five budget because that's, that's a two hundred million dollar looking movie. The production value, the, the 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 design and the scope is so enormous that yeah, that that's an extremely expensive movie without those. Yeah, just all the music and everything. Rebates. Oh my god! Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think both you and I liked it. There's a, a, a bit it. of debate. I, I'm a big Baz Luhrmann fan, so I to me it was just a continuation. <laughs> I am too. I definitely have <clears throat> have issues with it, and I think it it's not perfect. It suffers a lot of missteps with sort of Forrest Gumping him into the civil rights movement in a way that just feels so artificial and awkward and weird especially for you know an artist that as popular as he has been for 70 years has always been plagued with the white guy that was able to succeed off of the backs of black music and so and black music is in this movie all over the place but he's very much a I don't know. I don't think it paints him that well because it makes him look like he's, you know, just, you know, in adoration of it and 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 using it. Appropriate. Um, yeah, but he's presented as doing it very altruistically. Mm-hmm. And it also falls for the some of biopic tropes that are pretty tiring. <laughs> it's a pretty oh, basic. I mean, story wise, but it hits them all. It hits every one of them. But if you go with it, if you go with the production and the design and the music, and I have to say Austin Butler is just He's revelatory. A He's A+. Plus. But that's the thing. If you're going to have a musical biopic that does not paint outside the numbers in terms of, of a screenplay, it better do it everywhere else. Mm-hmm. And it does. That's, that's, that's what kind of tips it over for me. Well, this one's a really a matter of taste. Either you go with that or you don't. You know, I mean, I can understand those that don't. It's it is very much because Buzz Lerman has such a specific style. Exactly. You're not going to like this if you don't like Moulin Rouge and Great no. Gatsby. It, it you just you won't. And why would you? That would yeah. be so strange to like this and not the other. I don't know. Yeah. My name is Cindy Burnett, and each week I interview at least two traditionally published authors on my podcast, Thoughts from a Page. We talk spoiler-free about their books, so you can listen whether you have read the book or not. And then we delve into things that you most likely won't hear about anywhere else. The importance of the cover design, why they included various aspects of the story, personal details about both the books and the author's lives, and so much more. You can find the podcast on every major platform and learn more about it on my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. Thanks so much for checking it out. Well, let's move on to what we're looking forward to. Again, there's so much. We have more than half a year to go in so many movies, but let's thought we'd pick out five each that we're really looking forward to. Do you want to start? I know we have some crossover things, so I'm all I'll throw some things out that maybe maybe won't be. I'm dying to see uh, Sarah Pauly's Women Talking. I think she's a great filmmaker. This is a long time since her last film. I'm super excited the cast is obscene crazy um who's in I it just i just want it in front of my eyes uh francis mcdormand and ben wishaw and it's it, I, I mean it's it's like 
you know, the, the, the moment from, from little women when Saoirse Ronan just says women, <laughs> that's what I feel like. I'm like, I just, just give it to me, give it to all of me. <laughs> but, and that will be festival run, right? Uh, it should be. Yeah. Rudy Mara and Jesse Buckley and Claire Foy. And I mean, it's just, it's a ridiculous cast. It's crazy. So talking about women, I have to mention then Blonde. Now, I'm a big fan of the Joyce Carol Oates book, which I just reread um, coming back on my trip home, getting, because it was many years ago I read it, so getting prepped to, for yeah. this. And it's still just the most incredible depiction of celebrity. And here it comes with Andrew Dominic directing. It's gotten an NC-17 rating, so there'll be a lot of graphic sex, which there is in the book. I'm not too worried mm -hmm. about that, but let's see what Netflix does with that. And what did you think of the teaser and Ana de Armas as Marilyn? I'm trying to figure out if it was clever or a huge misrepresentation of the story. I think it's a little bit of both. Because I do think that it is going to be such a completely subversive version of a biopic and, and almost anything that we've seen about Monroe, as it should be, because the source material is. The trailer just is like, here's all the recreations of very famous stuff and pictures that you know. So who is the, who is the teaser for? Because if, if, if that teaser is for people that have that know that this is going to be a weird and effed up movie. They didn't get that. Uh, if it's for people that just are, you know, Monroe enthusiasts and think that we're getting a traditional biopic, that's a, that's a dangerous thing to do, to sell something to someone that isn't what it is. Yeah. I think it happened a little bit with Spencer. The, the weirdness of it wasn't really exploited in, in, quite the right way until it came out and people saw it and <clears throat> knew and realized that it was not, you know. And was that detrimental, you think? I think so. I think so because the the, the people that, you know, that knew Pablo Lorraine and, and Jackie knew what they were getting into. Right. I think anybody else did not because there were plenty of, you know, that's not my Diana kind of stuff. And yeah. there's going to be that here. It's not the like, crown. That's, that isn't the Marilyn Monroe that I know. Well, that scene, the one where she's looking in the mirror and worried that Marilyn won't appear, it's directly from the book. But that's so interesting, Eric, because I wasn't thinking, because I, I found it, what they were trying to say was that this was not so much a biopic, but a excavation of celebrity, the most famous person ever, and what that does to a woman, and that no one really was Marilyn, and she has to summon her. I, I, I thought that scene was... was brilliant and it was the scene that captured the hint of what i think the movie is uh and again this is just a teaser this is like a minute long very instagram friendly <laughs> <laughs> but she's looking good though does i mean i i wasn't sure about anna de armas first with the casting and like what this cuban vibe i don't know what but i don't Shoot. know she looks fine and sounds fine but it's it's again like stewart as Diana, if you're looking for a mimic, you need to look elsewhere. Go watch the, the Mira Sorvino, Ashley Judd movie, which is very good, but mm -hmm. that's about mimicry. Uh, this is not. So uh, again, you have to be able to go into something like this with the eyes and the understanding of what it's 
trying to give you, not what you want it to be. And it is produced by Brad Pitt and his production company. They tend to do a lot of really good stuff. So that's exciting too. And just to segue there, I'll do the next one. That's Bullet Train, which I think it looks fun. Um, so that's Brad Pitt. It's directed by his former stunt double. And this is action movie of the summer could be um five assassins find themselves on a fast moving bullet train from tokyo to morioko and their missions seem to collide the character is tired but funny and there could be some good action and we'll see hmm. <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm i'm not sure if i'm feeling that and strangely enough it almost would be more of like a uh a sandra bullock bookended summer right with the Lost City thing. And Pitt is in that too. In that he's, too. Actually, he's super funny in that. Super funny. So the, that pairing is is a pairing that feels like it, it should have happened like 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. But they're still both relevant and, and box office-y enough, I think. But I don't know. I'm not super we'll into that. Well, you go with the next one. Well, I'm going to go ahead and steal one that you were going to do anyway. Because we can both still talk about it. And that's Jordan Peele's Nope. Oh, God, yes. I feel like it's going to be so difficult for him because his first two films were just such massive hits. Game changers. Critically and at the box office. He has a, a style and a theme that is very specific and very unique. Critical eyes and, and audience eyes can be just really severe when either you step outside of your lane a little too much or you stay in it so much that your your scope and your vision just sort of doesn't have anywhere to go so i'm very curious to see what this third film is the new trailer really revealed a lot everything kind of everything we can reveal it here. Basically, we, we first the first one you felt like it was a mystery. This one was like, yeah, it's aliens. I ha- I have to say, even from the first like teaser poster with the cloud and the the tr- little trinkling of lights coming down, there was almost never a moment where it did not feel like it was going to be aliens to me. And everything, the look, everything that we had from it was people looking up was massive scope of a you know tiny town large sky and that just read aliens to me every, every time so when that was revealed i was like eh, well yeah of course i completely agree it is a difficult third movie to come after he basically changed the game and what how we see horror how we see this genre where you where you're saying something but really talking about such important issues this, it's going to be interesting to see what this goes go ahead do the next one I'm really, really looking forward to Broker. Oh, we talked about that one. Yes, me too. Yeah, I Corieta, I just think is one of the most sympathetic directors that we have. I think he's incredible. Uh, Shoplifters was my favorite of the Cannes Film Festival that year. Um, I wish I could have gone this year and seen this and decision to leave and like so many things. So this is this is a major, major one for me. Neon has it, so excited for what they can do with it. The concept is so wild. Uh, people leaving unwanted babies in, in boxes outside of like 
these like literal drop boxes for babies, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which in my mind sort of makes me think of what used to happen in the United States where people would leave babies at fire stations. And this is like, you know, 50s, 60s. And what is going to be happening with Roe v. Wade? Un undeniably that, because that's the other side of this, is that uh, this is Korea, obviously, and not here in the United States. Where but it I resonates. Am. But it absolutely feels like a story of the moment. Oh, I completely agree. Yeah, I can't wait for that. And also decision to leave. Yeah. I have on my list here. We talked about that when we did the can um, episode. Oh, yeah. And, and so amazing, both of them. I'm really looking forward to also Steven Spielberg's The Fablemans coming in November. This is his actual story about his parents and himself, which we've seen in all his other movies <laughs> from E.T. and Close Encounters and all. But, but to see him actually do the story of his parents, I'm so curious. There hasn't been a lot of pictures or anything coming out. Do you know anything new? I've, I've seen a couple of like beach pictures <laughs> and that was, that was mostly it. It's Michelle Williams, right? Places. Yeah, Mom. which she has been uh, at the top of my supporting actress prediction list, which is actually will be out by the time this is out, I think. Uh, and she's still number one. I think, I think this is like her moment. Um, be, I'm so excited for this. And also what a great cast. What an exciting, exciting cast. I do think it's interesting that we've had these semi-autobiographical director stories kind of happening with From not necessarily rapid succession, but with a whole lot of Oscar attention, you know, between Roma and, and Belfast being the two main that really covered that. I'm curious. It's everything about it is good on paper, obviously. I love the November release date instead of mid-late December. It's probably going to play New York Film Festival like his other films have. He's not a big festival player uh, outside of New York. So I think that's probably going to happen. But talking about releasing pictures from from filming, I mean, can we just stop a moment and admire Greta Gerwig's Barbie? I'm obsessed. I obsessed. can't stop tweeting pictures. So it's Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling in the most incredible costumes as Barbie and Ken. And I have a feeling that that's going to be just a subversive masterpiece i don't know i just think it's gonna be amazing <laughs> i think i think so too because we we do know what i think a lot of us again began to suspect once the the casting kept happening is that yes ryan gosling and margot robbie are ken and barbie but that we are going to see multiple versions of them i think that's super cool and exciting um, but holy Lord, those, those first pictures of both of them, <laughs> I just, it's not what I expected at all. And not just because it's of even the, better. The, 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 the pink stuff, but like the, I mean, like the set pics that have come out over the last couple of days, I'm obsessed because <laughs> I'm just like, what is this movie? Why does she look like Dolly Parton? Why does he cowboy look like, hats and why does he look like a gay cowboy? What is happening? So I'm into all of it. Yeah, like a, just a subversive work of art, um, of pop cultural 
pinkness. <laughs> and you know, I think it I think it could exist in the same world, same way that Dominic's blonde does. Exactly. Where you are taking you are taking something so well known, regarded, revered, and giving it something different so you can look at things differently. That's that's kind of what all of this is about. What Elvis is about too, if you want to. It is. It, people love spoon-fed biopics. I get that. But I mean, something that kind of challenges you, even though like a little bit is just so much more exciting. And just analyzing the sort of pop cultural wallpaper, these things that we've seen since we were babies, basically just images and that come to mean something that you don't even understand. I think that's going to be great. Let's take a couple more. Do the next one. Well, I mean, I hate to just jump back onto Margot Robbie, but Babylon, I think, is potentially really interesting. Again, Brad Pitt, too. It's crazy that we're... I'm saying it! Brad Pitt summer! <laughs> I keep going around in, in this circle. But, uh, yeah, it's Damien Chazelle. This is a, a pre-code Hollywood story. The transition from silent films to talkies. Insane cast again. You know, Robbie and Pitt. Olivia Wilde, Tamara Weaving, uh, Tobey Maguire, Gene Smart. And they're all playing versions of very famous people, but not actually the people. So all of that you know, rumor mill stuff. Tobey Maguire is playing Charlie Chaplin. No, he's not playing Charlie Chaplin. He's playing a character that is the stand-in. Mm -hmm. Everyone's playing stand-in versions of famous Hollywood people, so. Which is the same in Blonde, at least in the book. I don't know what he's doing with the movie, but there you have the author. You have the baseball yes. player. Yes. Just sort of epithets of who, you know, who we, the pop cultural image that they are for us, the real people. So it's not DiMaggio and it's not Arthur Miller. And mm -hmm. and again, this, this, this is a way to subvert what we think we know to give us just an insight into just a different way to look at things. I'm, I'm all for that. I'm also looking forward to Florian Zeller's The Son, um, which is his follow-up to The Father, which also stars Anthony Hopkins and Hugh Jackman and Vanessa Kirby. I think that could be amazing. And another one I've been looking forward to for ages because we've been hearing about it, but now I think it's actually coming, and that's Darren Aronofsky's The Whale with Brendan Fraser. Um, and there was this whole renaissance. I talked about that <laughs> two years ago already. There was all these Brendan Fraser. He was making a comeback and we've been waiting and waiting and this comeback hasn't coming, but maybe now it will. And this play is apparently incredible about a 600 pound man. No, I'm looking forward to that. As well as Ari Aster is back with Disappointment Boulevard starring Joaquin Phoenix. That could be interesting. There's a few things that might be moving from 2022 or you know presumably uh to 2023 so Brandon Frazier I think that's hanging on here I think that's going to 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 be here um I also want to throw in two biopics that I am extremely excited about and that is Rustin and Shirley so that is Coleman Domingo as Bayard Rustin gay civil rights leader that was Martin Luther King Jr.'s right-hand man 
uh, organize the March on Washington. I, I'm so excited for Coleman Domingo to have a role like this and a story like this. Regina King is playing Shirley Chisholm, first woman to run for president, first black woman. It's just two phenomenal potential stories, both Netflix. So I think they're, but they're both going to get really great campaigns or festival runs or both. So yeah. I'm excited for Looking that. Looking forward to that. So, oh my God, there's so many more, but should we leave it at that, Eric? Something to chew on? I think so, because yeah. I mean, there's, there's, yeah, I mean, I have almost everything that that I made, you know, obviously Killers of the Flower Moon is something I, I'm Scorsese. excited mm-hmm. about. Tar, I am really Ooh, excited is about. That is the new Todd Field, who just has not made that many movies, <laughs> you know, in the bedroom and uh, little children. That is Kate Blanchett as Lydia Tarr. A, it's all centered around classical music and composers. And I, I think I think there is a potential here for, I don't know. I I, I don't know because I don't really know much more than that. That sounds um, amazing. Well, anything Todd feels, you already sold it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I just, um, depending on if it's, you know, a mystery thriller story or drama i don't know there could be some all about eve some diabolite something i don't know i feel like something's going on there that sounds amazing this is so always so much fun i know that you're in the middle of a hectic period and uh, next time we talk i'm sure you'll be in the middle of a new one (laughs) i know i don't think i have much of a downtime i've got like like generally like one month after the oscars i have a little bit but then all the emmy people are are just like So (laughs) let's get started. And here we are. And I will come back to you again very soon. Thank you. It's always so much fun. Hello, everyone. My name is Matt Neglia, and I am the host of the Next Best Picture podcast, part of the Film Entertainment Awards website, nextbestpicture.com. On our show, we explore all year long what is possibly going to win Best Picture at the Oscars. We do this by conducting interviews with people within the film industry, holding weekly reviews of the latest theatrical releases, and on our main show, where we dive into various different topics, answer your fan questions, and also do our best to explore Oscar history's past in hopes that it will tell us something new for this upcoming award season race. We hope that you will join us on all the various podcasting networks. We look forward to seeing you over at nextbestpicture.com.